Mac Power Users, Episode 77, Dumping Google. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. So this show is a bookend to Episode 58, where we talked about the Google lifestyle. Um, we got you all excited about Google. Now we're going to tell you how to get Google out of your life. So you mean we got everybody to sign up and throw all of their information into Google and give away all of their personal secrets, and now we're going to tell them that was a really bad idea? Well, we're going to discuss the issue at least. <laughs> okay. It seems like there is a kind of a, a backlash against Google the last two or three months, or maybe even going on longer than that. And I think that's really something to start talking about before even we get into why or or how to get rid of some of the Google services. Well, the the issue has been around for a while. I mean, we've all known that we are not Google's customer. We are Google's product. And we've all known that Google makes their money by selling our information to their actual customers. So there has always been an issue with Google using our information. But that, that issue has become crystallized a little more recently with their updates to their privacy policy, and, and there have been, uh, you know, quite a bit of negative response. And I think people, just as a result of some of the publicity around this, have become more aware of exactly what Google is doing and the type of information that they're collecting. And um, I, I think awareness is always a good thing. Yeah, and, and I think also part of it is just some of the conduct that Google has done. Um, they have, in some ways, hurt the services that everybody has come to know and love, and in other ways, you know, take an affirmative action that isn't really very admirable, I guess is the word. Um, the, you know, we talked about this actually in episode 58, that, you know, Google sells advertising. That's how they make their money. And with that model, they need to collect information about us in order to sell better advertising. The, the more information they have, the better the advertising gets. And I think, I don't remember in that episode, did I talk about the parable of the scorpion and the frog? I think I did. I don't know if you did or not. Well, you know, the uh, the parable of the scorpion and the frog is that there's a scorpion on a bank and he wants to get across the river. I always thought it was a fox. Well, it's also been called the scorpion and the turtle. I mean, there's, there's a lot of varieties <laughs> of it. It's the same general idea. Yeah, so the scorpion wants to get across the river and he tells the frog, hey, give me a lift. And the frog says, well, why should I do that? You're a scorpion, you'll sting me. He says, hey, I'm not going to do that. i got to get across the river. So Scorpion climbs on the back of the frog, and they get halfway across the river. And, of course, the scorpion stings the frog. And as they're both sinking and drowning, the frog says, hey, what the heck? Why would you do that? And the scorpion says, hey, I'm a scorpion. You know, And to a certain extent, Google is an advertiser, and they need the data. That's how they make their money. Apple makes their money selling really fancy uh, whizzy hardware, you know, I mean, you buy a $2,000 MacBook or a, or a, an iPhone or an iPad, Apple made their money at the moment that you wrote the check at the Apple store. Whereas Google makes their money generally on the back end, because as you use their services, they collect more information about you, which becomes something they can sell to advertisers. <laughs> That's really, I don't really see it as necessarily evil or wrong. I think it's just their business model. And I think the trouble is they come off as, you know, this company that came out of the blue. You know, we had this time where Microsoft dominated everything. And then Apple started to make a sort of comeback. But before Apple was even in full swing, this company, Google, shows up. 
and they're like making the web better. I mean, I remember what search was like before Google search really took off and Google, Absolutely. Google made it better. And then they kept coming up with these great ideas like Gmail and Google docs. And it's like every day you're like, so what are they going to come out now? That's going to make my life easier. And all this stuff is quote unquote free, right? So it was really liberating, I think, for us to see a company that wasn't Microsoft innovating on a big scale. And I think so we all jumped in and we've all been using Google services for a long time. And we always knew in the back of our head that, you know, they're collecting data, but it just seems to be coming more obvious. It almost seems to me, you know, they had some management turnaround last year. Eric Schmidt used to be in charge and then they got rid of him and well, I guess they didn't really get rid of him, but they, they took him out of his position. It just seems to me like the whole company has really changed its focus the last couple of years uh, to, to social with this Google plus push. And they're not necessarily, I think they're just getting more serious about, about their business plan and collecting better information and getting better what they're doing. And it's starting to creep a lot of people out. Yeah. And and I guess maybe we should throw in a disclaimer is that my intention at least is, is not for this to be a Google bashing show by any means. Uh, Quite the opposite. In fact, I'm, I'm very thankful that Google has been around and that Google's in the marketplace because uh, Google has spurred, as, as you mentioned, uh, quite a lot of innovation. Without Google, we would not have had, you know, this this internet that we have, you know, plain and simple. We wouldn't have had this ability to search and this instant access to information and these, um, you know, groundbreaking products like like Google Maps or um, these products that you you see other people that are are trying to stand on. And, and Google provides a lot of competition and a lot of incentive uh, for other manufacturers and other developers to up their game. So I'm very thankful for Google. And I use a lot of Google services. Um, I think my my point of the show is I think people just need to be aware that there are, are alternatives out there, what those alternatives are, and maybe they shouldn't be so blindly using Google. Be aware of what's going on behind the scenes and um, know that there are options. Yeah. And there's there's some other stuff going on that's that's got a lot of people leery. I mean, for instance, this thing they did in Africa with um, was that company uh, Mocality. Did you did you see that? Um, I think I read about it. Is that where they all of a sudden a bunch of of their data ended up becoming Google's data? Yeah, and then people were calling Mocality's customers and apparently bad mouthing according to Mocality. I don't know what the whole story was. I know Google did kind of step up and take responsibility for it. And hopefully they're sorting it out, but you know, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on and it just comes down to a company that needs to make its money by collecting advertising information. I guess associating this to my day job, I've always seen over the years, these companies that I've represented or, or been involved with litigation with. And when things are going well and money is rolling in, people are very, it's very easy to make the right decisions, but sure. when all of a sudden things are not going as well and you're worried about the future of your business, um, this, you know, moral decisions become a lot more difficult for people. And, and I don't think Google's at risk at all, but I do think that they feel very threatened by Facebook and related social services, which I think they don't believe they are, they're in on enough and they've got this huge push for Google Plus, and I think it's really challenging their, you know, their company morals. I guess, for lack of a better word, 
Um, but I'm with you. I'm not saying that you need to dump all of Google services. I think what you need to do is be aware of what's going on and maybe even dial back a little bit without dumping. I know a lot of people have done that. In fact, that's pretty much what I've done. I've dialed back certain parts of it, but I'm still using other parts of Google. And I am very conscious of it. I mean, we've talked about this show. I think our very first show that we recorded, we talked about mail. And I explained then that I never could get into Google Mail because I just never felt comfortable with it. And I understand it's just a robot reading my mail. It's not a person. But I still am not comfortable with that. So I've never really been a big user of Google Mail. And and that's just a, another data collection point for them. I just read yesterday a tweet from Tim Verporten that Google Mail somehow dumped all of his tags and he's pretty sure he's not going to get them back. And that's okay from Google's standpoint because they already collected the data they needed. They don't really care. And I just, you well, know. Hey, they'll they'll just uh, refund him double his money back, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, yeah, exactly. He's not paying for it. So why do you care, right? But right. Th- he may have years and years worth of tags in there and now have no ability to to get to emails that he used to get to. So it's it's a little it's a little creepy and it's a little impersonal because you don't have a customer service number with Google because you're not the customer, you're the product. And from a from a consumer standpoint, it it really goes back to this free versus pay for services. I know uh, I think it was Marco who talked about this originally on Build and Analyze of a week or so ago, probably now by the time that this show posts. Uh, you mentioned it as well on your your blog post, and I thought the points that you raised were very important in that. As a consumer, you know, at some point we all like free. We all like getting something for free, but nothing truly is free. There, there is a cost associated. The cost is either you're giving up a little bit of your information, you're giving up some service, you're giving up some features, you're giving up something to get something for free. Yeah. And that can be a problem. We, you know, another thing that got me thinking about this was a, um, a five by five special podcast. It was Marco and Merlin about a month ago. I'm going to put it in the show notes. A kind of critical podcast? Yes. Yeah, when John was out for one reason or another, and they, they just did a Friday show. And they talked about a division of the Internet where there's going to be people who don't use Google-type services and kind of have a more secluded view of the Internet. Right. Versus people who just go in and don't care and let all their data be collected. It's kind of a new dividing line. And, you know, that there may be some truth to that. Right. And, you know, I guess this is a, a good point to to throw in a, a plug. You know, we talk about, we talked about build and analyze. We've talked about the five by five specials. A lot of Mac power user listeners are, are obviously very familiar with the other podcasts that are going on over at five by five. But for those of you who are not, there's some excellent, excellent other broadcasts over on the five by five network. And uh, you definitely want to check them out or just maybe go ahead and I've, I've given in David subscribe to that master feed and It'll download them all for you. Yeah, it's like a, a new present every day. Yeah, the um, we digress. Yeah, I, I think though that to a certain extent, I also can't help but wonder if I'm a weirdo about this privacy stuff. And I never thought I was a tinfoil hat guy, but I'm starting to think maybe I am because I talked to my daughter, my 15 year old. She's kind of my window into the next generation, and they could care less about who's collecting their data. And maybe that's just because she's 15. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, I'm starting to become more aware of it. I'm starting to become more concerned about it. 
I've, I have always kind of had the standpoint of, well, you know, I, I'm my web surfing and my data and uh, is, is about as plain vanilla as you can get. I folks, I don't live that exciting of a life. Um, besides my tax returns and my financial information, there's, there's not a whole lot that it would kill me if you, if you delved into it. Now, I'm not saying that I want somebody snooping around in my data. I'm just saying as a, from a practical standpoint, I'm a very boring person. Um, but still, the idea of somebody snooping around in my stuff is, is not that appealing. And just the idea of collecting it and having it somewhere that someone else can see it if they want to. I mean, there are people that, that would like to look through your logs, you know. Well, and it's it's a potential security risk, and that that's my main concern. On one hand, I definitely understand Google is a business, and if I'm using their services for free, that is the cost of doing business for me. Is that's that is the price that I pay to punch my ticket and to use Google Mail and Google Calendars, and um, that's the price that I need to be willing to pay, and I just need to be aware of what the price is and accept it. Um, my big fear is what if there is somebody at Google. Um, you know, and I'm not saying the company as a whole, but perhaps either an individual or perhaps Google is somehow compromised and that data gets out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thinking about my day job. I do one of my specialties is trade secret law. I deal with a lot of cases that involve people leaving and taking customer lists or the seven secret herbs and spices of the Colonel's chicken or whatever with them when they walk out the door and you know, why, what would stop me from subpoenaing uh, Google to find out the person's search history? I mean, I could find out if they were searching how to form a new company while they were sitting at their desk at their old job. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do with that search data. Uh, I don't know that I could even do that, but it's, it's like a, an avenue of exploration for me. And, you know, in your life, do you want someone thinking about how they can get to your search history to, to prove something against you, whether, you know, it's ex-wives or ex-husbands or I don't know, whatever. It's just creepy. So there we have it. That's what their business is, is, you know, collecting data. I don't think they're an evil company. I don't think they're not evil either. I think they're a company trying to do their business and it's becoming increasingly clear. I'll put the privacy policy uh, in the show notes, but it's, it's, there's no question that they're pretty clear in there that basically anything we collect any place, we get to share anywhere. I guess is my interpretation of it without being all legal about it. And there's a lot of people upset with it. I mean, I think in the European union, they're saying that it's, it's illegal. I, you know, it's, it's just kind of nuts. I don't know if they've changed it since that article was written, but the question becomes you're a Google user for at least some degree. I think just about everybody is on the web. Um, and what are we going to do about it? I mean, for instance, do you know how many Google products there are? It's just I looked at the list. It is quite expansive. We're not crazy. going to be able to talk about everyone in this podcast, or or we would go well beyond our time here. Yeah, but if you want to be freaked out, go to your Google dashboard, and uh, I think it's google.com slash dashboard. It is. Yeah, and I I had services I didn't even know I had. I mean, when did I get a Google Wallet account? And when did I think I got a Picasa account? Like, just by virtue of having a Google account, I think you have those things. Yeah, I mean, but there was there was pictures in there. I, I'm sure I uploaded them, but I don't know when I did it. It must mm-hmm. have been years ago. If you've ago. uploaded pictures to Google Plus, they're in there. Yeah. yeah. So you've got all these services. Take a look, because you may be a, a lot more in the Google uh, swimming pool than you thought. But <laughs> yeah. So take a look. 
Well, we're we're going to talk a little bit about how to get out of the the Google swimming pool, as you you put it. But why don't we why don't we take a break first and talk about some happier news? And uh, that is with our first sponsor, our exclusive sponsor for this episode, and that is Smile Software's new PDF Pen for iPad. I am so excited about this app. Now, David, we've both been beta testing this app for a couple of months before it was released, and I got to tell you, when I got the email from from Gene telling me that they were in the process of uh, developing PDF pen for iPad, I can tell you exactly where I was and what I was doing because I literally screamed out loud with excitement. Yeah. Uh, so P- PDF pen yeah, was P- coming to the iPad. Yeah. PDF pen for the iPad. It's in the, uh, the app store. Now it's $10, but get it fast. Cause I know the price is going to go up at some point. I'm not sure when, as we record this, it's still $10. And this thing is really great. I actually sat down with them when I went up to Petaluma last year to speak because they were there. I got to spend like an hour with the developers going over the beta, what I liked and didn't like about it. And these guys were so receptive because what I explained to them is I said, we, I need an, an app that I can work on PDFs in. It's great that we've got these apps that are, can catalog them. And, you know, they've got these apps that are great for holding big piles of PDFs, but there's nothing that makes it really easy to work with a PDF. And, Boy, I think they just nailed it with this app. Yeah. So you already know that you love PDF Pen for the Mac, and now you can take that core functionality with you pretty much everywhere because we know that you've got your iPad with you everywhere. So you can add signatures to documents. Any PDF on your iPad, you can get into PDF Pen for iPad. So you can add signatures. You can also annotate PDFs. Now, we've talked about this in other shows, about how annotation has been an issue with PDFs, and and Smile has gotten it right. You can annotate them with notes, comments, scribbles. You can draw lines, arrows, rectangles, just about anything. And then they have this whole library of kind of proofreading symbols and where you can mark up your documents. You can highlight, underscore. Um, this is just wonderful. So I'll have my assistant sometimes send me PDFs of documents in rough draft form. And I'll, I'll head out of the office. I'll grab my iPad. I'll load them up on PDF pen for iPad. I'll go to Starbucks um, and I'll sit there and to me, sometimes just getting out of the office and getting out of that mindset and being able to mark up and make the changes right there on, on the iPad, on PDF pen and send them back just gives me a whole new perspective on things. You can also change text. Uh, so if you find something that's almost ready to go, but you've just seen that there's one little typo, you can change the text and then resend it back out. Um, you can do all of the adding and deleting and resizing of images, including dropping your signature or your initials or whatever you've got back in uh, and sending a document out. So this was particularly helpful. I was uh, changing some stuff with my insurance coverage recently, and it's straight from my iPad without ever touching a computer. My insurance guy emails me the updated binder information. I open it up. I'm able to fill out the PDF form, drop in my PDF signature, send it back to him, never touched a computer. I was at work and I don't have PDF pen on my PC at work. That has been the bane of my existence at work is not having PDF pen on my PC. Don't have to worry about it now because I've got PDF pen on my iPad. You know, and it works really well with uh, cloud storage services like Dropbox, Evernote, Google Docs, iDisk. But even better, it fully integrates with iCloud. And this is something only Smile could do because they're the only company making an iPad PDF app that's also on the Mac. So everything just syncs through iCloud. You push the iCloud button. And this is better than a a sync where you're copying from folders. I mean, this thing is pushing back and forth the whole time. I can't tell you how much I love this because I'll be at work and be working on a contract on my 
on my Mac and I'll just save it to iCloud. And like you, when I want to go get tea or, or I'm sitting home on the couch, I just open PDF pin and it's right immediately available from my iCloud account. Um, I know there aren't many apps that are fully supporting iCloud yet. This is a great way to test it out if you haven't tried it yet and you're going to love it. Yeah. And the thing that I thought was especially clever is traditionally iCloud uh, access has only been available for apps that you purchased from the Mac App Store. And Smile said, you know what, for all of our loyal customers who have purchased our app directly from Smile, the PDF Pen or PDF Pen Pro for the Mac, we don't want to leave them out of this feature. So they went out and built a companion app that's available in the Mac App Store for 99 cents that will bring you that cloud sync functionality as well. Yeah, it's just fantastic. So if you work with PDFs, Spend the $10, go to the App Store, get yourself PDF pen and start playing with it. You're going to love it. Right. And thank you so much, Smile, for your sponsorship of Mac Power users. And thank you even more for making PDF pen for the iPad. Okay. So we've decided we're going to take an audit of our primary Google services and make some decisions about what we're going to do. Okay. And I think that starts with the mother of all Google services, Google Search. All right. This one's going to be tough for me because it's it's built into Chrome, which you know is my primary web browser. But I'm I'm thinking about making that change. It's built into LaunchBar, but but you've got some some fixes for that. Well, the first question is, do you want to dump Google Search? It's a great search engine, and you know the the trouble is they're keeping the tracking history. There is some ability to control that, and sure, and and that's really the first step. But I think. Anybody should do regardless. Yeah. So if you go to uh, the if you go to the um, the account the dashboard. settings, yeah, the dashboard yeah. on your Google account, you have the ability to clear your search history. And you got to scroll all the way to the bottom to be able to see that. By the way, yeah. And you can it's buried. And you can track and you can turn off tracking. And I don't understand exactly how well that works or whether it sticks. I, um, once once you turn it off, it seems to stay what they call paused until you turn it back on yeah, again. They, they call it pause. I love that. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's just paused. It's not off. But, I would say, you know, maybe maybe stick a recurring event in your calendar to check it every so often. Yeah. So it's google.com slash history. And you can go in there and you can remove all of your web history. Now, I don't know really what that means. Does that mean it's removed permanently or do they have a record? I, I just don't know. I mean, once again, it's a company that makes their money selling information. Why on earth would they just uh, consent to deleting all that valuable information? I don't really know. And I'm not going to make any promises that when you go in there and do it, you're necessarily actually deleting your history. Instead, I would recommend, and I think this is a pretty low painful, uh, low pain tolerance change in your life is switching to a different search engine and I took some time looking at the various search engines, and I settled on DuckDuckGo. That's, if nothing else, you should switch because it's got a really cool name. Yeah. Well, DuckDuckGo is, a, is an alternative uh, search service. It's a company that has a very aggressive privacy policy, and the policy is we don't track anything. We don't keep records of anything. And hmm. they're very specific on their on their website. So... And, and again, like you, it's not like I'm doing a bunch of like incriminating searches, but it, I just feel better knowing that I'm not just, you know, a cog in this wheel and being tracked and sold. So I use DuckDuckGo. Well, the question then becomes, how do you implement DuckDuckGo in your life? Because like you said, all the browsers are built around generally three search engines, Google, Bing, and Yahoo. 
and even in Safari. Right. And Yahoo now, for the most part, is Bing, right? Yeah. I mean, as I, once again, we could get really deep on that, but there's a, there's a relationship between Microsoft and Yahoo where, as I understand it, they're using a lot of Bing's results in their system. So uh, you don't have the ability to use DuckDuckGo out of the box with Safari or, or certainly not with Chrome. So how do you do that? Uh, there's a couple ways. I mean, one way you can do it is just make a bookmark. I, I have the DuckDuckGo search uh, you know, when, uh, page listed, and I just put it as a bookmark in my, in my menu bar called Duck. And then I think, or you could set it as your homepage. Yeah, or you could set it as your homepage. The reason I like it as a bookmark is then because I use iCloud, that just syncs straight over to my phone and to my to my Mac. I'm sorry, to my iPad because you know it's in the same menu bar, so I can search from those just as easily. Okay. Another solution is to set up a text expander snippet, and that's real simple. There's a there's a certain language used. I'll put a link in the show notes. I actually did a post on it where you can create a snippet that you just hit the snippet and you type in, it's a fill-in snippet, you type in your search term, and it just puts it in the URL bar and search, searches DuckDuckGo for you. And that would work uh, on the Mac. It would not work on the iPad and the iPhone because Apple has not enabled text expander snippets in the their own apps. And the Apple clippings or the Apple shortcut service wouldn't allow you to do a fill-in. It's crippled. Yeah, so right. it, it wouldn't work. Um, another option is if you're using a, a keyboard launching place like a launching app like LaunchBar, or if you're using uh, what's it called, Alfred or Quicksilver, you could set up something for that as well. Alfred actually has it built in. In Alfred, you just open Alfred and type duck and hit a space and do a search. Uh, I switched in Alfred, by the way, to DDG because that's one hand, you know, and it's actually mm-hmm. faster for me. The launch bar, you have to create a a search service in it, although I suspect launch bar is going to probably fix that in a future release as well. And that's really easy. And I did a post on that as well. I don't think I'm going to try and explain it on the podcast because it's very kind of techy and there's a whole long text string. But if you just go to the post in the show notes, you will find it. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember how to do it with Quicksilver. It's been so long. Do you use Quicksilver at all anymore? I don't use Quicksilver anymore. Yeah, I'm really rusty on that one, but I'm sure there's a way to to set it up in Quicksilver as well. Now, DuckDuckGo used to have kind of a a hack where you could uh, replace Yahoo's search, although it would say you were searching with Yahoo, but it would actually search DuckDuckGo in the Safari uh, search field. Can you? Does that still work? I haven't used that. And and like the the Glims is another option. It's a it's kind of an add-on hack for Safari that allows you to change the the default search service and it includes DuckDuckGo. But I'm not always a big fan of putting those on my Mac. It seems like those can cause more trouble than they help. Right. I think Gruber had a had a write-up about that, but I seem to recall reading that that got broken in Mountain Lion. So we'll, we'll see. But, you know, I very rarely search from the from the search bar anyway. I'll, I do almost all my searches with LaunchBar. Yeah. And once you set that service up, it, it runs no problem. Right. So DuckDuckGo. Uh, after using it now for I don't know three months, I feel like it's a little slower than Google. And but we're talking like milliseconds. Yeah, right? I mean slower is is probably it's not the difference between one second and one minute. It's the one second and two seconds. Okay. And the the results are different. Sometimes when I get a search with DuckDuckGo, I don't think the results are as good as they would would be with Google. In fact, sometimes I go ahead and 
run the search on Google just as well to compare them, and Google does better. Other times, I think they're better than Google, and I run a test on Google, and indeed they are. It's just kind of strange. You know, they're, they're search engines, so I guess they have different algorithms. Uh, the search results are much cleaner. I mean, Google's search results have been getting increasingly messy with... Oh, yeah, you get to see what your friends have tweeted and what your friends have plus one and what people have shared on Facebook and... Yeah, I mean, it's almost it's to ridiculous. the extent that it's getting hard to find what the number one search is that isn't involved with an advertisement or social media. Right. Whereas DuckDuckGo is very clean. And, in fact, one of the nice things they do is they show... I think they use it as the original site, I think is the term they use. Here, let me run a quick search. And where, when you get the results, there's a little gray box next to the one that is the actual manufacturer's site. So, you know, you don't get, you know, bamboozled into going to the wrong place. Good deal. All right. So, I, so that's DuckDuckGo. Yeah, I like DuckDuckGo. I've been using it. And that's something you could probably do right now. And just try it and see how it works for you. And I'll put the links into the show notes for the ways to set this up with your automation or text expansion services. And, you, and that's an easy one to go back. If you find out that you don't like it, you just flip a switch and go back to Google. Yeah, but I would recommend going in, clearing your web history with Google, pause tracking, whatever that pause means, it. and and then switch over to a new search engine. Yeah, well, I think the, the pausing the web history is a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, just why do they need that? Why do they need that? Although, you know, I am reminded, I'm I'm obviously here in Florida. You know, we had that big Casey Anthony debacle a couple, uh, been a couple of months now. And there was that whole chloroform, chlorophyll issue that, that came up. Like, did the grandmother search for chloroform or chlorophyll? And somehow that came up in our web history. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Creepy. It was very creepy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on to one of the other uh, Google services that a lot of people use, including myself, and that is Gmail. Um, I like Gmail. I like Gmail a lot because it has, you know, a, it's not unlimited, but they keep growing the amount of storage that you have on Gmail that it, it seems like it might as well be unlimited. But huge, huge storage capacity on Gmail. I love Gmail for their spam filtering, and they have very good server-side rules. A lot of people I know love Gmail for their interface. A lot of people hate Gmail for their interface. So that's, you know, kind of your mileage may vary and a personal preference. But, you know, there is the issue that you brought up originally with Gmail, David, and that's that, you know, all of a sudden you'll be reading your email and there's a little ad that pops up on the side that's kind of relevant to what the person in the email is talking to you about. And that gets a little freaky. I'll tell you the thing about Gmail. Power users, which are our listeners, can just use the heck out of it. Oh, Merlin Mann loves Gmail. Yeah, I sat down next to Merlin at Macworld Akin this year and just watched him work his mailbox, and it was amazing. I mean, he's got all these custom boxes entered. He's doing stuff on Gmail that would never be possible on Apple Mail. Just not possible. Oh, yeah. And, I think Merlin hates hates Apple Mail. Yeah, well, I don't know how he feels about it, but the I think he really likes Gmail, but you know, there's a cost to that. Yeah. And I, to me, it's, it's just never been worth it. I, I, I can do quite a bit with Apple Mail. I get by pretty fast in that app. And it doesn't involve getting those ads. And I guess because I'm an attorney, too, it just really, the idea of even a computer reading that mail really makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, now, we should be clear here. I mean, a lot of people do use Gmail with the Apple Mail interface. And although you're not seeing the ads, 
Uh, that still doesn't mean that Google doesn't have access to your data. I mean, Google's still getting and scanning the data in the background, and so those ads could be populated across other services. So the question is, do you want to use the Gmail service at all, even though you you may have, you know, you may be a little easy, you know, happier about it because you're not seeing the ads in the Gmail interface, or you you may not like the Gmail interface, or you may not be using the Gmail interface day to day. Your data is still up on the Google server, and that may or may not be an issue. So the question becomes. You know, it's a cost benefit. If you're comfortable with it and you like uh, Gmail, you probably shouldn't stop. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think everybody should just quit Gmail. But like, I think Merlin should probably stick with it because he's so efficient on it, and the privacy issues are probably not as big of a deal for him for the stuff he does as opposed to the stuff I do. But if you do want to leave it, you know, what are your alternatives? I think. There's a new one, it's iCloud, that didn't exist before. When we first started talking about you know, email years ago, MobileMe was $100 a year and Gmail was free, and that was a big deal. Uh, iCloud is now free. You get a me.com account, and maybe that is or is not popular as, as a gmail.com account. Now it is limited. You are limited to five gigs, which you do share across all of your Gmail services. Personally, I think at some point Apple's going to up that. I think they're going to have to to stay competitive. We'll see. But adding on additional storage space to to iCloud is not that expensive. And and in the long run, it's going to give you a lot more in terms of of other syncing and storage ability. Yeah. I mean, and then there's web-based services like Hotmail, Yahoo, blah, blah, blah. I'm not not a big fan of webmail. Um, Maybe that's because I'm a trade secret lawyer, and that's what people always use to steal stuff because they know that they're (laughs) – their employer can monitor it. Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, those typically, in order to get additional features, you're going to have to pay. Like, I believe with Yahoo, you can get IMAP access on your iPhone, but in order to get IMAP access on your Mac, you have to pay them, you know, I think it's 25 or 30 bucks a year. So there, there are add-on features to that, and you're still going to get, you know, some advertising on the Yahoo site and things. You know, a lot of people like Fastmail, yeah. As, an, as an alternative to that. The other alternative is you could just go out and buy your own domain name and use their, their mail service providers. I, I would recommend that. I, I think it's a great idea because you're in complete control. And, you know, we've talked about Hover before. They're a sponsor of the show. But I have a Hover domain. MaxSparky.com is one of them. But, uh, and I have an email account attached to that. And, Boy, I wish I knew exactly how much it cost me per year, but it's so little that I don't worry about it much. I think it's in the neighborhood of about ten or twenty dollars, and I have my own fully, you know, supported mail service through there where I control it. It's IMAP, so everything works great, and there's nothing wrong with doing it yourself. Right. And, you know, you may need to add some other things onto this yourself in order to get the level of of service or the level of spam filtering that you were getting from Google. You know, I personally have never been a fan of some of the built-in features of Apple Mail. I've never liked the Apple Mail email filtering. Uh, I've never liked the server-side mail filters on me.com. Uh, I've always felt that I needed to add some things onto that. So I have added on. I've, you know, I've purchased a license to SpamSiv, which I think is hands down one of the best uh, spam filtering programs. Although your ISP may give you some options, I know one of our local ISPs here that we actually um, use for our our my uh, the day jobs email has like a Barracuda uh, spam filtering service that I think we get for all of our users for like five bucks a month that has been very effective. 
Um, you may need to add on some some additional filtering with with a mail act on or mail tags or something something like that. Another point, though, is if you decide to do this, you're going to have an existing store of mail in Google Mail, and you probably want to get that out of there because you may need to reference it in the future. And there's an app for that. Yeah, regardless of whether you're going to remove your data or not, I think you need to be backing it up because, again, not being Google's customer, if Google has a hiccup or an outage and loses some of your data, what are you going to do, ask them for a refund? There's there's not a whole lot that they're going to be able to do for that. I've been a big fan of the the Cloud Pull app. It just went into version 2.0, and it previously would allow you to download all of your Google Docs, all of your reader feeds, um, all of your calendar information. And now with version 2.0, it will also download all of your mail files, and it will do it in standard format. So you can tell it, okay, download all of my Google Docs in you know .doc or .xls or or whatever format you want to choose to download them in. So you can open them however you want. Yeah, it's a great app. How much is Cloud Pool? It is twenty four ninety nine, and you can get it in the Mac App Store. So, and I think you can use it for multiple accounts. So if you can you you can use it within your family. If everybody has a Google account, you can set it up to download multiple accounts worth of information, and it will regularly download and keep them updated. If you're just using it as a backup utility, yeah. Okay, so another key component of the Google services for a lot of people are Google Docs. We use Google Docs extensively with Mac Power users. Yeah, and I don't, in, of, I don't it, intend to stop. Yeah, this is one of the areas where it's, it's really hard to find a good alternative. And people use Google Docs for different reasons. One of the things that I've learned um, talking to some of the, the clerks and some of the high school students and college students that work in our office is they don't own a word processing program anymore. Yeah. They don't own a copy of Microsoft Office. Well, it's like I I just find that stunning. Well, it's really expensive for a college kid. Right. That just was a a requirement when I was in college. Yeah, everybody had it. So. The well, you know, but, the Google Docs, the way I use it is we use it for planning our we have a spreadsheet that shows what our show schedule is and you know, who the sponsors are and, you know, what the anticipated date of the show is for, you know, the rest of the year. And that allows us to go in and collaboratively work on that and move things around. That's, I'm okay with that. If I were to have a, a letter to a client or some secret thing that I didn't want shared, that would not be on Google Docs. But the list of the shows for the Mac Power users, I'm okay with it. So it's one of those things where I'm just looking at my degree of risk, I guess, and making a decision about whether the service works or not. But we've talked about Google Docs several times in the history of the show, and my takeaway from that is always kind of the same. It's really great collaboration tool. It's pretty ugly, and it's not really a final product tool. It's like creating – I use Google Docs to create text, and then the text goes somewhere else. If you're using Google Docs just as an office replacement, there are other office suites that you can buy. Obviously, Apple has the iWork suite. You can use OpenOffice, which is a free office, a free and open source office replacement. Or there's, of course, the Microsoft Office suite. Um, iWork, of course, used to have the component of iCloud.com or of uh, iWork.com, I guess. But that we just got word recently that that is that is being removed by Apple, and they're now pushing people over to iCloud instead. But yet they don't seem to quite have fully baked their their iCloud integration. And, and none of those products you just discussed are as good as Google Docs for pure collaboration 
where you have two people sitting in the same file at the same time typing in different places. I mean, there's, That's true. I just don't think any of them are up to that task. One of the hacks around that that I use is when I've got a shared file that's not like a Google Docs file. Like you and I even have some files that we share this way. We do this all the time. And I yeah. put a, just a text edit file in, just a text file in the directory with whatever the file is. And I named the well, file. In- we should take back a step because we share these via Dropbox. Yes. So what we we have is we have a shared Dropbox folder where we have maybe an Omni Outliner outline or a spreadsheet or an iWork document or something else that we otherwise could not collaborate online with. Yeah. But and, go ahead. And if, if both of us opened it at the same time, think bad things would happen. Mass chaos would ensue, yes. So what, what I do is I just save a text file to that file, and I call the text file in use or available. And I give it a red label if it's in use and a green label if it's available. And then in the text file itself, it's kind of change tracking where I just hit my text expander uh, date and timestamp every time I go in there and just briefly write you know, what I changed. So when Katie opens it, she can see what's changed. And she can see if it's available. If she wants to go in and work on the outline for the show and she sees the, the red label, she knows that I'm working on it currently and she can't. And that works. I mean, it's kind of, it's a hack, but it works. It's kind of like flipping the sign yeah, back and forth. Exactly. Open, closed, open, closed. Yeah. I mean, it's silly, really. But now, there's other online solutions as well. Uh, you had talked about Zoho and, you know, the 37 Signals products. Or a wiki, that's a good idea, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. But none of them really scratch the itch that you get with Google Docs. I agree. That's a a tough one to replace. I know Microsoft is really trying to catch up with their online office product. But like you said, I mean, the kids today aren't using Microsoft Office. And, you know, neither one of us are really huge fans of Microsoft Office. I don't know that it's going to be as relevant in the future as it is now. But... If they want to uh, to take a shot at that, I think getting the online collaboration thing going is a smart move. Agree. And and the other alternative, which which you are already using in in your personal life, if you're not using it to collaborate with others, is syncing documents back and forth through the various applications on your iOS devices and the various applications on your Mac, using Dropbox, using iCloud, using the built-in synchronization options between the apps. Yeah. Um, not doesn't work as well for collaboration, but if you're just trying to share the information between yourself, a lot of people use Google Docs just because they want their documents available anywhere, everywhere, and in the cloud. And if that's your sole purpose, that's not as hard to accomplish now uh, through iCloud or other services. Yeah, and or Dropbox. you know, iCloud is it seems like it's rolling out slower than it should. It is. In fact, one of the things on that outline of future shows is the iCloud show, which has been moved now like six times. It keeps getting moved down because it's not ready. And now it looks like it's going to get moved until Mountain Lion releases, really. Uh, I don't know. But I, I keep thinking we're going to get an event from Apple that explains their full cloud strategy, but it, it sounds more and more like it's, it's coming with Mountain Lion. Yeah. So that is an option, though, and it's not that far off. So if that's, if, if that's all you're looking for is a way to make your documents everywhere... I, I think iCloud is a better solution. I mean, just the way it syncs, having used it now, I mean, I'm using I'm using the super secret beta app right now, a text editing beta app, and iCloud... I don't think it's as secret as you think it is anymore. Well, there was something, but we won't talk about it. But the, but the iCloud service is enabled, 
And it's just amazing having it open on my iPad and on my Mac and adding a sentence and then switching over to the other device and seeing it's already there. I mean, it does it in a way that is so much more elegant than the traditional file syncing method. I think people are going to really dig this once it starts going wider. I agree. Okay. Um, So we've talked about Google Documents. You're going to have to make your own decision, uh, but there are options. Uh, Let's talk about Google Maps, which is another service that a lot of us find critical. I don't know how much Google Maps bothers me because I'm not sure how much information I really truly have in Google Maps that I consider to be private. It's really just looking up driving directions from point A to point B or trying to find where something is located. So I'm not sure that I have really any discomfort level with Google Maps, but there certainly are alternatives. Microsoft Maps makes a product, or they're calling them Bing Maps. I think everything's Bing now. Uh, MapQuest. And Apple is working on something. We we saw a taste of that. Uh, I believe they purchased a mapping company, or did they purchase an interest in a mapping company? They purchased and, like three mapping companies. I mean, they've been you know they've been buying the people that do the 3D and the people that do the actual map, and they're they're going to have a product soon. I mean, the popular belief is that you're going to see this with the next iPhone that they're going to have their own mapping. An iOS six. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we and we saw a taste of this in iPhoto. iPhoto is not using, I'm sorry, iPhoto for iOS is no longer using Google Maps for the map feature that we saw demoed in the keynote. And you know that it's just got to make them kind of crazy that they've got Google Maps on their device with all on the, the homepage. Yeah, with all the animosity between the two companies concerning Android. So I'm sure they don't want to be tied to it. I mean, Apple is one company that does not want to be tied to anybody else. I mean, historically, and our listeners probably know these stories about how when Steve Jobs came back, Microsoft threatened to pull Office from the Mac. And everyone pretty much believed that if they'd done that, it would have killed the platform. It was the the last thing keeping the Mac alive was the fact that at least you could open Microsoft Office documents on it. And if Microsoft had pulled that plug, it may have killed Apple before it had a chance to make its recovery. And they made this big deal and kept Microsoft on it. But I'm certain that that culture at Apple is like, never again will we be in that position where we have to go hat in hand to somebody to keep our platform alive. And this to me is just another iteration of that. They are not going to be stuck with Google Maps forever. Again, the other option are just app-based solutions. I have a GPS, one of those, you know, TomTom, Garmin, whatever, handheld GPSs in my car because most of the time that I'm using Google Maps is for directions here to there or iOS apps. Yeah. Well, do you, do you use a GPS iOS app? I don't because I have the the, the Garmin, but I'm I'm probably going to get there soon because I I found some errors. My Garmin's about three or four years old and hasn't been updated. Yeah. And the map update for the Garmin costs a lot more than one of these iOS apps. I use, let me find it here, uh, MotionX GPS Drive. And that this has nothing to do with this show, but man, I love that app. It is so good. You know, I think there's a show at some point in CarTech. We may, we may go there. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there, but that's a good one if you're, if you're yeah. interested in checking them out. Okay. Here's a tough one. This is the one that hurts for me, Google Reader. It is a tough one because everything now, all of these RSS readers that we love, uh, Newswider, Reader, Byline, is Byline one? Yeah. They all sync with Google Reader now. 
Nobody wants to do their own back end anymore because it's much easier just to sync in with Google Reader. Well, there were several companies doing kind of RSS back end stuff, and Google came in with Google Reader, and it's free and pretty much drove everybody out of it. And now you're hearing rumblings at Google that they're not so sure they want to keep doing it. Um, I'll see if I can find an article. I read that a couple months ago, so I don't. I'm not saying that authoritatively, but. My my impression is that Google's not that interested in supporting Reader, and they're starting to change some terms and some access for third-party developers. So, And they do track every article you read. If you ever go and look at your Google Reader stats, that's another thing. It's just like it tells you how many seconds you've spent at any particular website you know, reading the articles in the Reader. And it's, I guess it's really not that incriminating or anything. I mean, it, it does show that I'm a complete nerd. If you do it at work, it is. No. Yeah, well, it, it would show that I'm a complete geek, but... Other than that, it's a little weird, uh, but it's also just a you know a reader service. So the question is, do you want to stick with them or not? There really isn't a good option because we've got all these great you know apps on the iOS that that use Google Reader as the back end. However, there is something happening. You know, like this uh, was it called Fever? Let me see. It's a I think Feed a Fever. I think is what it's called, and it's a web based service. Are you familiar with this? I think I saw them somewhere. Maybe at Blog World? No, it's the same guy who does... It's the same guy. It's feedafever.com. It's the same guy who does Mint, not the financial app, but the stats app. In fact, I think we talked about that with Daniel with our last show. We did. And mm-hmm. uh, so he has done his own sort of RSS um, app, but it's smarter than that. And it actually looks at the stuff you're interested in, and it assigns a temperature to them. So the stuff that it thinks you would be more interested in gets a higher temperature, like it's 103 degrees if it's something that you know really goes across all of your feeds. And it, it orders, orders them in its own kind of smart intelligence as opposed to Google Reader, which just gives you a list of what's new. The problem with Fever is that it's a web-based service and you have to have a server somewhere to put it on. So if you're just sitting at home and you don't have a server, it may not work for you. The good news is they're going to start supporting it in Reader for the iPad and the iOS devices. And I know a lot of people are talking about ways to make an easier installation of this web-based service for people who don't want to have to put up a web server just for the purpose of having their feeds. But this is an option that exists outside of the Google world, and I'm very interested in it. I've been following it for some time. I know Gabe Weatherhead at um, uh, Mac Drifter has installed it and is happy with it. So I'm I'm just kind of tracking this, and I would recommend you as well if you're interested in this kind of stuff. So you, well, you hadn't heard of that? Any alternative? I've I've heard of it, and we talked about it once before. Didn't we talk about it in our Managing the Onslaught yeah, show like I a year or so ago? Yeah, we did. Right. I'm sure we did. And it looks good. It renders really well on the iPad and the iPhone in the, in the Safari view. But if they, you know, I could not give up my reader app, you know, 2E Reader. I love that app so much. I mean, that's how I consume this stuff and they've got a version on the Mac and on the, on the iPad and on the iPhone and that's tied to Google. But I understand the newer version coming out is showing that they're going to have a fever integration. So I may be heading that way soon. Okay. I'll report back if I do. What about dumping Google plus? Because Google seems to be more and more into sharing and social and this was their big response to Facebook and Google Plus was going to take over. I don't know how much of a threat this is because 
you know, I signed up for a Google Plus account. I started there and I haven't really done anything since. Are you, I know you, you're not using Facebook at all. Are you using Google Plus at all? I signed up for a Google Plus account when it first came out. You know, they sent me, you know, hey, you're special. You know, you're a, we're, we're inviting you to the beta because you're a hotshot in technology. And it made me feel all mm-hmm. special. So I signed up and I, it was really fun for the first hour. And that's about the last time I locked in. So I, I don't know what's going on in Google Plus. And I know some people that I respect really use the heck out of it. But I'm just not into these social services. I mean, I don't have enough time to be on there talking about all the stuff that gets talked about. Google Plus is a scary one because the the default privacy settings are not very private. So if you are using Google Plus, you definitely need to go in and view your privacy settings, understand exactly what you're sharing and to who you're sharing it with within your circles and within the world at large and whether or not your Google Plus page is indexable by Google and whether somebody just Googles your name, whether they're going to find all this information on your Google Plus page and exactly what's going to be found. In terms of alternatives, you know, really it's just the other major social networking sites which have their own batch of privacy issues, mainly Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it makes any sense at all, but I'm okay with Twitter and I'm probably going to be killing my Google Plus account because I just I don't use it. And to some extent, if you are sharing things on social network sites, I think you know that that stuff is out there. And hopefully you know enough to customize your privacy settings so you can be as protected as possible, whether it's Google Plus or Facebook or Twitter or any of them, really. I mean, our listeners know this, but I'm not sure most people do. Did I ever tell a story about how I was taking a deposition and my secretary told me that the opposing attorney was drunk the night before? No, yeah. that's a good one. I was getting ready to take a big deposition on a case, and it was a Monday morning, and the attorney, my secretary said, oh, I just looked up the other attorney on, on Facebook, and she was in a wedding yesterday, and she's talking about how drunk she got. <laughs> so I went in there, and I just I just ramrodded that deposition like there was no tomorrow. I totally took advantage of it. You know, it's, it's, Well, good for you. Yeah. That's what your client pays you for. I guess, but I, I just, you know, just, I shouldn't know that about somebody. And I That's definitely true. don't want anybody knowing it about me. So did you did you tell her after the fact? No. But hey, that you might want to change your privacy. Maybe after the case is over. I don't know. By the way, you might want to change your Facebook privacy settings. Yeah. Well, it's it's nutty, and people are just throwing that stuff out there. But be careful, please. Picasa is Google's photo sharing service. That I haven't used much, although if you've ever uploaded photos into Google+, Plus, you've got photos in Picasa. David, you were surprised that you had photos in Picasa. No, then when I looked at the pictures, I remember it was like 2007 or something. I had uploaded some pictures years ago, and I just forgot they were there. But and again, I think I think the default setting in Picasa is, is to share these with the world. There's some pretty good alternatives for photo sharing services out there. Flickr seems to be the one that has been. Uh, knighted by Apple since Apple has said they're getting rid of MobileMe web galleries. And you now see that the Flickr integration is built into all of the the Apple apps, including iPhoto and, well, I guess iPhoto would be the main one that it's built. Oh, the share, the share that we've seen in, in Mountain Lion previews also includes a, a share to Flickr feature. So Flickr is the one that I think makes the most sense for me because it's going to be built into all of my Apple functionality. A lot of people also like SmugMug, and a new one that's that's coming up that people have, have raved about is this new 500 pixels. Well, I think the question of a photo sharing service is follow the money. 
like Flickr makes its money because you get a pro account and you pay them $20 a year or whatever it is. And Smug Mug works the same way. I used to have a Smug Mug account and they are really nice, especially for, it makes it look really good. So if you're like a professional photographer, I think it's a good way to, to feature your photographs. Those services work on, you know, I give you money and you give me server space model. Right. Whereas places like Facebook and Google plus work on, you give me pictures and I get more information about who your friends are. <laughs> it's probably true. I mean, this whole facial recognition thing is kind of creepy. You know, the, uh, uh, I've had an on again, off again relationship with Facebook. You know, I've, and we've documented on the show a little bit, you know, we when, have. you know, I went on a little while and then I had this, you know, existential crisis when all these people from high school who I weren't really friends with to begin with wanted to become my friends. And I didn't want to be a jerk and say no, but at the same time, I didn't really want to share. And at some point I ended up with more people on the list than were really my true friends. And then I was afraid to use Facebook because I didn't want to put anything on there for all these strangers and blah, blah, blah. Well, while I was on there, my nephew's fiance put up a bunch of pictures from Christmas morning. So there I'm in my pajamas, you know, on Christmas morning with my kids and it's on the internet and she like tagged me <laughs> on it. And I, you know, it just, I just felt so violated and I, it's not her fault. I mean, she just, that's just what she does. And that's what most people do. I wasn't angry with her, but just the fact that the mechanisms exist for that to happen without my permission and it really bugged me. And that's, I think what finally pushed me over to say, just no more, I'm done. Yeah, the new rule is you have to be, you know, fully presentable before you go to any major family function now. It's Christmas morning. I'm in my pajamas. You know, I mean, what am I going to do? I've been up all night doing stuff. But the um, either way, uh, so that's just my own neuroses. But I, I really am not a big fan of these online picture services unless I'm writing a check to somebody and I have complete control over where those pictures go. Right. And, you know, I've had a little conspiracy theory. I, I think that the mobile me galleries, which I really like for sharing photos amongst family members, may may end up getting a little reprieved because did you notice that it's it's still available and it was kind of have, not featured, but shown prominently on the, the recent Apple keynote? Yeah. I mean, they 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 said mobile me galleries were going away. I guess I think they explicitly said that. But then they have they a did. new service in the iOS version of iPhoto that essentially is a gallery. It's an iCloud gallery. So I, I think they're going to figure it out for us. I think so. And to, I hope so. To be honest, I don't really feel this burning desire to put all 100 photos from every family event online. I mean, what I usually do is I'll go through an aperture and I'll clean them up. And as we talked about in our photo show, I'm brutal about deleting excess pictures. So I'll end up with 10 or 15 pictures from any family event and there'll be one or two there that are particular to one person. And I'll send those pictures to that person in an email attachment or a Dropbox link share or something. You know, I just don't necessarily feel the need to put them on the internet. I can get those pictures to that person in a different way. I actually like the idea of having a, a separate private place for family to view pictures online. I just haven't found a good source for that yet. I want something that's convenient. I want something that, you know, my parents can view the pictures on their Apple TV or it can be their screensaver. And I really liked the mobile me galleries for that. And you could, you could lock them down so that just your family could see them. And there doesn't really seem to be a replacement for that. Yeah. An easy replacement for that. 
Oh. Maybe Flickr. Maybe Flickr with some fine tuning. So here's one that's not really a Google service, but it is a Google app. It's Chrome. That's right. I talked about how Chrome had become my default web browser. And I like Chrome. I like Chrome because it allows me to very easily sync all of my ooh, all my information, basically all of my bookmarks, all of my extensions across my instance of Chrome on my Mac, across multiple Macs, and across my PC at work. But it, this is not a hard one to get rid of. You know, there's there are other alternatives. Safari is getting better and better, and I I can see myself switching back to Safari when Mountain Lion comes because, again, Safari is going to have more built-in features, and Apple seems to keep they seem to keep leapfrogging each other, and Firefox being another obvious alternative. And I would say CR the show that we dip on on web browsers. The the big issue here, and we talked about this in that show, is what are you going to do about Flash? The the beauty of Chrome is that it had this built-in. Uh, flash component to it where you didn't have to install Flash on your PC, but you could view Flash. Uh, personally, I think this is becoming less and less of an issue because people are moving away from Flash, thankfully. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Adobe has dropped support for Flash in the mobile platforms. I mean, they don't even have a team building it anymore. So that's inevitable. And a lot of people are using mobile devices. So web developers are going to increasingly stop putting it on their PC and Mac-based sites as well because they know that a big portion of their audience isn't going to be able to see it. I'm already starting to look at it as a sort of litmus test. When I go to a place and they've got a bunch of Flash on their website, I just kind of move on. And I know I'm kind of early on this, but I believe within a few years that's not going to be as big of a deal. In the meantime, I'm happy to keep Chrome on my computer, but it really is just a a browser to open Flash in, as I talked about in that show. And that, the was, other that was episode, if you, episode 69, by the way. Right. The other alternatives, if you want to keep Flash installed, but not necessarily run it, is to use extensions like Click to Flash or Flash Block or Flash Bash or other Flash blocking extensions. Yeah. And then there's Google Calendar, which is another essential service for a lot of people. To, to me, this becomes easy with iCloud. With a, with a free iCloud account, syncing calendars, especially if you're using iOS devices, becomes easy. If you're not using all i and, and again, here's here's the problem with using iCloud. Obviously, this is a very Mac-centric podcast, so it's easy for us to say, go get an iCloud account and go use iCloud for all of these services. But things change. What if Android comes out with some compelling alternatives? What if the Microsoft Windows 8 stuff, really, tablets or... Uh, the new Windows Phone 7, 8 Plus Me interface, whatever thingy, um, ends up coming up with some some great alternatives. And people want to switch away from iOS devices or have alternatives to iOS devices. iCloud may not be the best option. Yeah, and that's what Google Calendar is so good at, is being an intermediary between platforms. I mean, I still, it really is. I still use Google Calendar for a hack to get around the fact that we have a very old server in our office. So at this point, I'm still using Google Calendar for a portion of, of the stuff I do, and I don't intend to change it until I can find a, a better way to do it. So it is a it is a good service, and it has a lot of use. And again, like Gmail, in fact, all these Google services, if you are you know the Merlin man type who loves keyboard shortcuts and who loves working in a, in a web interface, you just can't beat it. It's so fast to create events with Google Calendar much faster than I think it is with iCal or Calendar and Mountain Lion. Although I use, using an app like FantasticCal, I seem to be able to make events pretty, pretty quickly these days. 
So I think iCloud is an easy alternative for a lot of people who are ingrained in the Mac and iOS ecosystem. But you may, you know, we we could find ourselves a year or two years or five years from now, David, doing a dumping iCloud show. Absolutely, could happen. It could happen <laughs> it could. because they could Apple could decide to be evil too. Yeah. You never know. Well, and I'm not saying One that Google's the, evil. I just I, I right. want to be careful about it because they have this company motto: "Don't be evil." and you know, everybody likes to make fun of that or support it or whatever. I don't want to get hung up on that. I just think that because of their business model, you need to really take a close look at what kind of data you want to share. Back to calendar alternatives. One of the partners in my office introduced me to an alternative called Cozy, C-O-Z-I at Cozy.com. And he and I got him turned on to he and his wife now have an iPhone. Now they both have iPads. He he hates me now. He says you've cost me a small fortune, and now they all want now they all want iPads, and now they all want iMacs. I said, perfect. Here we go. No problem. I think we might have a chance at, at switching our office because now he's decided he wants an iMac at our desk. So this is how I get them, one person at a time. Yes. But he filled me in on Cozy, and that is a, a calendaring application and more that is specifically designed to share between families. And this became popular really before you could share amongst iCloud. So you can share family calendars, and you can create multiple calendars between family members, and they have apps for your iOS devices and a web interface. So he wanted to keep his work calendar, which we share amongst our office, completely separate, but still have a calendar for he and his wife, a calendar for his personal, a calendar for each kid, and manage all that with the family through Cozy. And you could do a couple of other things with Cozy, like manage shopping lists and manage agendas and manage other things like that. So it was it was great for family management. And then I showed him how he could do the same thing with, with iCloud. And I, th- I think he might have switched over to iCloud and shared calendars there. Yeah. But it's an alternative. Yeah. Google Analytics is another one a lot of people use. So if you run a website, Google has a great analytics service that will tell you how many people in South Africa were reading your website last night at 11.03 p.m. And it's a great service, but I don't use it. I With Squarespace, I have my own built-in analytics with the Squarespace service as part of it. So I turned off Google years ago. Um, another alternative is Mint. You know, which we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah, Google Analytics is a is a hard one to beat, and sometimes your your ISP may be able to provide you some analytics, or you can um, you can use something from Google. There's some other analytics out there uh, as well. I'm trying to find. There was one particular that that Callie Lewis liked and recommended that um, I'm having a hard time finding right now, but it could actually tell you specifically what people on your site were doing and looking at. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of analytics services showing up, so there are some. Good I think options. it's Woopra. I think Woopra was the one. It's a great name, I think. Yeah, Woopra Web Analytics. So there there are options out there, and you can find them. Without the H, Woopra. Okay, <laughs> well, it's in the show notes. Go check it out. Okay, what about Google Voice? I know you use it quite a bit. I use it, and I tell you, I've actually increased my reliance on Google Voice recently. I, I did a blog post about this. You can you can post in the show notes. I've actually replaced my home phone line with Google Voice using a a box called a um, an Obi box an Obi, through uh, Obi Talk that allows you to use this box as an interface for Google Voice, and then plug that into an analog phone line. So when you call my Google Voice number, it will ring the the phone at my house. 
or when I pick up the phone at my house and get the dial tone, I'm actually direct dialing from Google Voice. So after paying you know 25 bucks for this box, I now have free pretty much home phone service depending on how long the Google Voice service remains free. And again, the free with the asterisk next to it in terms of you know how free is free in terms of what are they collecting and looking at. Well, I do know they, they transcribe your messages for you. Right. But I wonder how much data they get out of it because it seems like they don't the do The transcriptions very- <laughs> are so bad. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. There, I, when I researched this home phone line service, because basically what I wanted to do was get rid of my cable home phone line service and, and save a little bit of money because I still need a home phone line because cell phone coverage is so spotty at my house still. There are some alternatives. Uh, one that I really liked and almost went with was UMA. And they go by the service where you, you buy the UMA box. These are all VoIP technologies. You buy the UMA box. It's a set price for the UMA box. And then you, you get your number, and then you basically just pay the taxes, which are you know, a couple bucks, four or five bucks a month. And you have basic phone service for free. And then they have a premium service that you can add on um, for another couple of bucks a month that will give you things like the transcribed voicemail, the visual voicemail, and the other things that, that a service like Google Voice will give you. Um, Magic Jack is another one that, you know, is we've all seen the cheesy Magic Jack commercials on TV if you're just looking to add a, a, a second phone line. I used the Vonage service for a while. It got a little expensive, but it it can be a good service, I think, particularly for international calling. And there's an app called Line 2 that you can download for your iPhone. So if, if really it depends on what you're using Google Google Voice for. Are you using it just to have another phone number? Are you using it for transcription? Are you using it for a single source access to all of your voicemail? So I, I would say look at what you're really using Google Voice for and be aware that that number can probably be ported. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to say much about Google Voice. I just don't use it enough to have an opinion. So let's talk about Smile again, because Text Expander is continues to serve me well. Yeah. So Text Expander is an app that will allow you to save thousands of keystrokes by using short abbreviations to expand these snippets into larger blocks of text that you frequently use. So these snippets don't only have to have text, they can have images, they can have phrases, they can even have uh, Apple script in them. So these these text expander snippets, if you've got someone like an evil genius like Brett Terpstra, can do all kinds of insane things on your Mac. Yeah, I, I don't even know how many snippets I have. I'm trying to look at my library right now because I've got multiple. You can organize them by folders. I currently have 10 folders full of snippets. So that gives you an idea of what I do. Oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> I just scrolled down. But yeah, I, I just love Text Expander. I use it for so many different things. One of the things I've been playing with lately is naming files with snippets and you know the limits of that, You know, it, part of my paperless workflow. I also use snippets to... Uh, do my day job stuff all the time. I use snippets to respond to emails. Uh, I just posted a screencast recently about how I use snippets in OmniFocus where I can uh, type dot A-T-O and it says add to Mac Power Users Outline. So when I get an email from a reader that I want to add to the follow-up outline, I just hit the magic uh, key combination in mail and it creates an OmniFocus task out of it. Put the cursor at the beginning of the line and dot tap.ato and it types all that stuff for me. 
There's so many things you can Excellent. do with it. In fact, like we were talking about earlier in the show, you can do a, a search through DuckDuckGo with a snippet. It's just an amazing app because it's so flexible and it gives us all these tools to create anything we need that we do repetitive typing on. Well, let me tell you about some of my favorite text expander snippets because Colleen went into this into her, her episode last month and we got so much feedback for people saying, yes, please tell me, tell me about your favorite snippets so I can get ideas for my text expander snippets. So one of my most used snippets is I've created kind of a complicated fill-in snippet that I use to post the HTML to our website for this show. So the snippet includes all of the HTML for uh, the image and the paragraphs and, and the formatting of the show, and then it has blanks for this is the show number, this is the show description. And then you go through and you create uh, show notes, which can be dozens of of links long. So before I go and I copy the HTML for the show note and I have a, a clipboard link. So by the time all I do is I type in the fill in snippet, I think this is MPU post and it will create a text expander snippet that pastes in the copy, the contents of the clipboard for the show note. And the only thing I have to do is type in the show number and the show description and everything else is preformed and uh, pre-filled and populated for me. Um, obviously, I use Text Expander for all of my my signatures, whether it's my work signature, my home signature, or variations on that. And I use it quite a bit uh, to create common typos. Like, for example, how do you name Apple products? Is it Apple TV with no space, or is it Apple Space TV? Or is it Mac Mini all one word, or Mac Mini two words? And I could never remember that, so I finally just went on the Apple website figured out what it was and created a text expander snippet for how I would commonly mistype it. And then there's some embarrassing typos that I sometimes make, like bellow. I sometimes type instead of below, and I never type the word bellow. So what I went into text expander is I typed the word bellow and set it to expand to below. So anytime I accidentally type bellow, it will auto expand to below. And sometimes when I'm typing very fast, I will misspell my name and talk about embarrassing. I'll, I'll reverse the I and the T in my name. So I've got a text expander snippet that will fix that for me. Because you don't want to misspell your name. Yeah, that's kind of bad. It is. Yeah. I do know how to spell my name. I think I might have talked about this in a prior show, but one of my favorite snippet groups, I, I got the idea from the Simplicity is Bliss blog, uh, Sven Finchner, where he has a snippet where he goes and sends a, an email out the day before a meeting and he lists the agenda items and has just a nice little snippet. So I took that and kind of customized it for me. And one of my morning tasks is I look at the following day and I just fire off some emails to everyone that I'm going to be meeting with. And it, it works great. Excellent. Okay. Um, so text expander, you can get it for the Mac for thirty four ninety five in the Mac app store or from their website and text expander touch, which is the iOS version is just four ninety nine, and that works both on the iPad and the iPhone. The great part is that they use Dropbox syncing, so you can sync your snippets between your devices. So you create this awesome snippet on your Mac, and it just shows up on your iPad for you, and everything just works. Uh, you know, on the iPad and the iPhone, obviously the developers have to support Text Expander because of Apple's limits about multitasking and app sharing, but there are a lot of apps that are using it, so you're going to be okay. 
And Text Expander has created a free API that they will give to developers so that they can build Text Expander functionality into their apps. So if your favorite app doesn't have Text Expander functionality built into it, start writing the developers and telling them you want it. Yeah, this is just one of the key apps in my life. If I don't have Text Expander, things get really weird because I just yeah, start, things stop working. Yeah, real I just fast. start typing in my snippets and nothing happens. In fact, I've even caught myself handwriting snippets, which tells you how insane I am. That becomes a problem. Okay. So uh, thank you, Smile, for supporting the podcast. Everybody go check out Text Expander if you haven't yet. And let us know your favorite snippets. We're always looking to up our games, and we can share them with some of the listeners. Okay. All right. So we talked about there are a lot of other Google services, and we're not going to be able to cover all of them on this show in detail. But I thought maybe maybe rapid fire, we'd, we'd try to, to get some of the other services in Google that either maybe there aren't a lot of alternatives to or, or maybe the lesser used services and, and try to knock those out pretty quickly. And YouTube and Vimeo. So there you go. So you, you got you, Apple's. You go ahead. Apple seems to have embraced Vimeo. Well, you know, I don't think Apple's a big fan of Google right now, so that doesn't surprise me. I don't think so. Me. I think they yeah. Uh, my this is my hang up with YouTube. I put some Max Sparky um, videos up there, and they had Apple's um, uh, royalty free music in it from GarageBand and Logic, and YouTube yanked them down. Said no, we're sorry, you have stolen music. And it wasn't. Mm. And I tried to email them, and they never wrote me back. I sent two or three emails. The video never went back up. And I finally said, heck with it. And I just took all my videos down and moved the relevant ones over to Vimeo. Mm. And that's just me. I, I guess I'm uh, I'm kind of frustrated with that experience because I was wrongly accused. You know how it is. If you, if you have little kids, whenever you wrongly accuse them, how they pitch a fit, well, I, I pitched a fit by, by pulling out. But I don't know if that's a privacy thing as much as it just made me angry. Sure. Uh, Google Earth. I mean, how are you going to replace that? It's amazing. I don't know. I don't really use Google Earth, though. Oh, I do. You want to? You want to hear a trick as a lawyer? When okay. you, when you have a case that involves property, you do property cases. Yeah, I do. So uh, you put in, you take a Google Earth shot from the globe down to the property, and you run uh, ScreenFlow at the same time, and then just just trim the window just around that Google Earth. I did that once in front of a in a, in a trial situation. And so as I starting my presentation, Google Earth spins in and we, and it was a great case because it was about a former nudist colony. So it was, it was just a great case. <laughs> so as the Google Earth is spinning down to this like area out in the backwoods of California, it, it spins down and then it, it tilts, you know, cause you can do that in Google Earth as well. And it, it does the whole animation and it took me all of five minutes to build this and then save it as a movie and drop it into my keynote. And I finished it. And the judge says, without even realizing he's saying it, the judge goes, "Wow!" <laughs> right in front of the whole, <laughs> right in front of the whole jury, it was, it was golden. It was golden. Anyway, yeah. So Google Earth is great. I don't know how you could replace that. Maybe Apple will have yeah. something amazing with their new apps. You know, with their new Maps <laughs> app. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, there's Google Talk, which is something that I've really never used. It's it's their instant video, audio messaging service. That's pretty easy in my mind to replace unless all of your friends just happen to be on Google Talk. Although, can Google Talk be brought into Messages or another service? I think it probably can be. Uh, Apple just released Messages as a beta. Obviously, it will be available in the full version in Mountain Line, so we don't know what the final feature set will be. Uh, there are obviously other IM services out there. Uh, AIM, ICQ, MSN, Yahoo, etc. 
Uh, I, I like the the app Adium because it will allow you combine all of your multiple logins into a single service so you don't have to have all these windows open. Although honestly, I, I don't chat that much online. That was something that I did, you know, when it was maybe maybe it's become less popular. I just I don't chat a lot. Or maybe you've just become more busier. I think I've become busier. I think that's what it is. The um websites, you know, the Google Blogger is a, a blogging platform. I know some people are getting rid of that though. Yeah, and that's pretty easy to replace with like WordPress, Squarespace, Tumblr. Uh so here's one. My wife's really active in the blogging community for crafting. She's hugely into it. And apparently uh Google Blogger and I guess I should have checked this out before we recorded, so I'm kind of talking and half knowing here. But they've got they've done some service with Blogger where they want everything to be tied to Google Plus. I mean, this is another example of where they're kind of screwing up really good services in this desire to make Google Plus dominant. And a bunch of people are really upset about it because they want Facebook or whatever. And so a bunch of her friends are are leaving Blogger as their blogging platform. I don't know. Uh, you, you talked about Rapid Weaver and some of these other uh, third party apps on the Mac to create a website. I, right. I just can't say enough how much I love Squarespace. I mean, it's, I think I'm paying $12 a month for Mac Sparky and it's a great service and it's web-based so I can make adjustments from it. I don't know if you've seen the recent redesign I did. That was me. I didn't hire a designer, but I just used the, the built-in tools and it came out great. So uh, look at some of these paid options and that solves your problem with analytics and some of the other stuff we were talking about as well. Sure. Uh, Google Groups is a tough one to beat. I, we use Google Groups in our local Mac user groups kind of as an email listserv because it's free, because it's fairly easy, and honestly because a lot of people have a Google account. But it did become complicated because Google either wanted people to sign up for an account or people thought that they had to have Google a Google account. And so it was a it was a good service for a group that didn't have a budget for something else, but it was a little complicated, and there are some problems with it. Alternatives, there's Yahoo groups, uh, message boards. If your group has its own website, there are a lot of uh, free and open source software out there for message boards, some of which may be available from your internet service provider. Again, there's the whole 37 signals uh, suite of properties, although that's that's probably more pay for service, you know, if you're a for-profit business or, um, you know, have the resources for that. And then if you have someone with some know-how, we previously ran our list of, uh, off of some open source software. So there's there's a full range of open source mailing list managers that you may be able to tap into. That's going to require some management, though. Okay, so in summary, you can get off the the Google train. You can with a lot of these services, and it depends on what's important to you. Uh, I don't think you have to, but I think you should at least stay on them knowingly. And understand that you are the product and make your choices accordingly. Sounds good. Like good advice. Let's do some follow-up. Okay, but before we get into feedback, I have a correction from last episode that I need to make first. When we recorded the 1Password ad for last episode, I mentioned how I'm scanning all of the contents of my wallet and putting them into 1Password. Now, 1Password already has a field set up for wallets where you can import information like your credit card number and information relating to the customer service number and and contact information and things like that, which I strongly suggest that everybody do. But I mentioned that I was going one step further and scanning my credit cards, my 
uh, insurance cards and things like that and putting copies of those into one password. And I am, but I also uh, either directly said or insinuated that those would also sync over to the iPhone and the iOS devices so that you could have them at your fingertips. And unfortunately, I was uh, incorrect in that. Um, because of the way that Apple implements their sandboxing, attachments are not able to sync over to the 1Password iOS apps. That is something that 1Password is actively working on but they have to do so within the confines of Apple's development rules. So I apologize to the listeners and to 1Password for my error on that, but I still think it's an excellent idea to go ahead and keep that information stored securely in 1Password so that you have access to it. And of course it syncs across all of your Macs as normal. It's just the iOS devices that does not sync attachments. So I hope that clarifies the issue for anybody who may have had any questions or concerns about that. Um, So David, what else do we have for feedback? Uh, we got an email about file vault. Someone called, uh, wrote in saying, Hey, I went to the Apple store and they said, don't install file vault under any circumstances. It's a terrible thing. An Apple store employee told him this and mm, uh, you seems know, hard it's to believe. cause all these problems with you and nothing good can come of that. Um, I would say the Apple store employee was right up until the release of lion and, uh, Mm-hmm. I agree with Lion. This full disk encryption that they built in, I I've let my um, was it PGP disk full disk encryption, which I used to have. Uh, you paid for it, then you had to pay a yearly uh, a subscription to keep your license active. I let all that stuff lapse. I'm using File Vault on my MacBook, and it is no trouble. I can't even tell that it's slowing it down. So uh, I'm very happy to have full disk encryption on the computer that I'm taking out into the world with a lot of stuff on it that I don't want other people to read. So I have no reservation about recommending it. I agree. I use File Vault. I have it on all of my sh- machines and I've uh, that are running Lion. Let me preface it with that. And I've installed it on all of the portable machines that I have for f- I've set up for family members where they're running Lion as well. So that's that's what I do when I set up a machine for somebody, especially if it's a laptop. I set it so that it doesn't auto log in, and I set it up with FileVault. Yeah, and then, just because I don't want there to be an issue. Now, what do you think about this new uh, remote access alternative, Slink? I saw we saw several emails on that. Yeah, we got an email. I think Mark was maybe one of the first ones, but certainly not the last to recommend Slink. It's 15 pounds uh, in the Mac App Store. And it allows you, you know, it's kind of the same format. You you download the app and then you install a free utility on it that that keeps the, the pointers all pointing to the right place. And, you know, I think these are these are all very similar apps. And, you know, you find the one that you like and that works best for you. And we got we got several emails because uh, we talked in the show with Don McAllister about uh, mirroring your iOS device to your to your Mac screen. And on the day that my three hundred dollar Blackmagic capture device arrived in the mail, of course, a, it did. a new app was released for fifteen dollars called Reflections, which allows you to do it over Wi-Fi to to mirror your your iOS device on your screen. It's pretty remarkable. I've been using both of them. Um, obviously when you've got a wired connection, there are no frames dropped and everything is lock solid pixel for pixel. However, reflections app looks really good and I'm not sure I even need the black magic device at this point, but it's a, uh, it's worth checking out. I'm very excited about reflections because this has been a chronic issue in my Mac users group. Specifically, we want to demo more iOS apps. We want to demo things from our iPhones. We want to demo things from our iPads. And previously what we did is we had one of these 
USB cameras that was set up so that you could point it um, at an iPhone or an iPad and then display what was displayed from the camera on the screen of the computer that was connected to the projector. And that worked in a pinch, but it was problematic because the camera was constantly refocusing and depending on the lighting in the room, you weren't getting a good picture. And it was, you know, people's hands were always in the way because they were touching and tapping and the camera would have to refocus at every step and it was too light or too dark. And with reflections, I think that will make a big difference. So I, I bought this on day one. The the only downside, and again, this is the downside with with all of these types of things, is that it does use the AirPlay mirroring, which means you have to have either an iPhone 4S or an iPad 2 or better. Another uh, app the same company makes, which is worth looking into, is Air Parrot. And what that does is it takes your Mac screen and puts it on the Apple TV. Now, this is functionality that they've announced is coming in Mount Lime. Yeah. But for now, if you don't want to wait till the summer, it's pretty nice. You know, we've got an Apple TV in our conference room at our office, and I've been using Air Parrot, and I like it. And it's also mm-hmm. fun when your kids are watching a movie and you want to just boot, you know, hijack the TV and start writing text on it. <laughs> Great. They love it. Kind of along the, How the do same my kids lines. Stand of- me? I, sometimes I wonder. I don't know. Kind of along the same lines of this is Paul wrote in and recommended an app that I use called Air Video. And instead of sharing your screen, if you're simply looking for a way to stream video from a computer to an iOS device, you can do iTunes sharing, and that works well if you're on the same network. But because of the way iTunes sharing works through Bonjour, it will not work through a router. So you can't iTunes share your iTunes library between your house and, say, your hotel room. So there is an Air Video app that's available in the Mac App Store or the iTunes App Store that you can download and install on your iOS devices. And there's a remote access component that will allow you to access that remotely on the go. Yeah. And finally, I would recommend going to the website and looking at the comments if you're interested in remote access and VNC because there is a catalog of my sins in the comments uh, concerning VNC, I, you know, I knew it when I gave this, I tried to like say when we did the set, the, um, the recording that, you know, VNC is very technical and I didn't want to be too precise because I knew I'd get the details wrong, but I've been told that RDC, which I recommend is the Microsoft protocol for remote access really is just a flavor of VNC. And I kind of knew that, but somebody made it very explicit uh, iTeleport apparently does not require Google credentials. I guess there's some alternatives you can use for the syncing. But most of the comments are about how I am clueless about VNC. And that I guess I guess the underlying theme is that everything becomes VNC at some point, whether it's the Apple service, uh, the Microsoft service, or some other service. Thank you for correcting me. All right. And with that, let's tell people how they can correct all of the errors that we've made in this show. Okay. So you could send an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, or you could go to the website at www.MacPowerUsers.com and leave a comment for the show. You can also find links to everything that we've talked about at the show over at MacPowerUsers.com or at the newly redesigned 5x5 website at 5x5.tv slash MPU. There you'll also find a catalog of all of our past shows. Since I don't pay any attention to Facebook, uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at MacPowerUsers, or Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. If you do like Facebook, we do have a Facebook channel. I just won't be there. Yeah. 
We want to say thank you to our exclusive sponsor for this episode, Smile Software. You can find a link to them also on our website or over at smilesoftware.com. Yes. And what are we doing next? Uh, next, we've got a workflow show, right? Yes. I'm looking forward to the show. It's uh, Our guest will be Kurosh Dini, who is the guy who wrote the book on OmniFocus. But this is not going to be an OmniFocus show. Uh, Kurosh is a physician, and he uses his Apple technologies uh, throughout his medical practice and has some really interesting workflows he's going to share with us. So I think that'll be a good show, even if you are not a doctor. Tune in. There you go. All right. And with that, we'll see you next time.